Good morning. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 23 this morning. Let me pray before we read. Father, as we come to your word now, please clear our minds, help us to hear what you have to say, and transform our hearts to be more like your son Jesus. Amen. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see, They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men! Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, And then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, 
which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all of this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, thanks, Mel. Um, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Hill. It's great that you can join us for church this morning. Uh, I want to begin with telling you a story. Uh, there's a family, uh, and they're having another family over for lunch after church one day. And it's one of those kind of events where the church has kind of made people invite people over. So they're a little bit reluctant, and it's a hot day. The, you know, the, the fans aren't working and there's some stress in the kitchen as they're trying to get the food on the table. Uh, the family's all in a bit of a flap as the parents are trying to motivate the children to tidy the house. And then the guests, they kind of arrive just like annoyingly early. You know, that kind of like you think they're coming at a time, they come like 10 minutes before that time and you're just not quite ready. But, you know, the guests arrive and uh, the family's all sitting around the table and, and they're, they're kind of none the wiser of the chaos that just preceded their entrance. And they're around the table and mum asks four-year-old Johnny if he'd like to say grace. Johnny looks back and says shyly to mum, mum, I don't know what to say. So mum kind of reassuringly puts her hand on Johnny's arm and says, Johnny, just say what I say. And so obediently little Johnny puts his hands together he bows his head and he says in his loud voice, Oh Lord, why did we invite these wretched people over on a, such a hot day? <laughs> now, it's really awful when we get caught out, isn't it? Particularly when a private moment is made public and we are caught in hypocrisy. Maybe it's the kids repeating something uh, that you would never say in public and maybe you shouldn't be saying it in private either. Perhaps it's been caught telling someone uh, to do something and being found out to be doing exactly that thing yourself. Uh, Adele and I are forever telling our kids to get off their screens and they say, but, but Dad, you're always on your phone. Touché. <laughs> Perhaps it's something more serious. Perhaps it's the sort of duplicity that ruins a marriage or a reputation or a career. The kind of hypocrisy that lands someone on the front page of the newspaper. 
And it's particularly damaging when it comes from those who are charged with leading God's people. When they stand up the front like this, with the authority of of God's word, and they say, do as I say, but not as I do. When they don't practice what they preach. Uh, We all know, painfully, many situations where leaders in God's church have been caught out, where they've been exposed for living a double life, teaching one thing and living something completely different. And the impact of that sort of behaviour, that sort of hypocrisy, it's devastating, isn't it? The damage done by that is worse than any media beat-up or financial crisis or pandemic, as the reputation of Christ is trashed. And what's probably worst is that the trust in the leadership of God's people is shredded so badly that there are some people who could never put themselves in that situation ever again. Uh, C.S. Lewis insightfully said, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. Of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. And in our passage today, Matthew 23, uh, Jesus has his sights set on that sort of religious hypocrisy. Those who preach one thing and practice another. Uh, And Jesus, it's a scathing attack, condemning the religious leaders of the day. And he wants us all to sit up and listen. Uh, See, Jesus here, he's addressing the crowds and and his disciples, and he's speaking speaking in such strong terms that he's warning them and he's warning us of the serious consequences for those whose religion is false, for those whose faith is hypocritical, And so, you know, I find myself in an uncomfortable position this morning, standing in front of you, bringing these words, knowing full well that I am not perfect, that I need to hear these words as much as anyone else in this room. And so as we dig into this passage, why don't we start by asking for God's help to hear his word today? So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read these words, we are conscious that we need your help to hear the serious message they contain. Heavenly Father, give us ears to listen to Jesus. Give us eyes to see our blind spots. And Lord, grant us sturdy knees to come before you in prayerful repentance. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Now, if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we're working our way through Matthew's Gospel, uh, and it's our normal practice here at Seed on a Hill to work our way through books of the Bible in this kind of systematic way. Uh, So we we, we don't just pick our favourite bits or the easy bits. Uh, We want to hear all of what God's Word has to say. And so even though it's Joshua's dedication, this just happens to be the part of the Bible that we're up to. Uh, It's not a special choice. Uh, And so we want to hear all of what God's Word has to say, even when we might find it really hard to hear. And Matthew chapter 23, it might be one of those passages that for you is really hard to hear. But I want to say hard isn't bad. Uh, We believe that all of God's word is good for God's people. Uh, And so I've been praying this week that uh, God's spirit will turn these hard words into a moment of spiritual growth for us as a church. And now there are three parts to Matthew 23. Uh, The first is that religious religious hypocrites seek the honour of men. Therefore, religious hypocrisy cannot save, and they get there because religious hypocrisy has rejected God's word. 
so uh, where we're at is we're beginning, uh, we're picking things up. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Uh, it's a couple of days before he'll be arrested and crucified. And this whole section uh, since chapter 21 has been this running conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. They've come to him and they've tested him. They've peppered him with questions about politics and about theology and about the law of God. And as Jesus has responded to these questions, he's amazed the crowds and he's silenced his opponents. Uh, quite literally, there at the end of, chapter, at the end of uh, chapter 22, it says in verse 46, it says this, you can see it there. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. His opponents are in stunned silence at his wisdom and his authority. And so for the next three chapters, Jesus is going to have the floor. Uh, it'll be three chapters of Jesus teaching. And as he addresses the crowds and as he addresses his disciples, he's warning them here in chapter 23 about the Jewish leaders and the sort of religion that they represent, the sort of hypocritical religion that they represent. And it begins with the sort of hypocrisy that seeks the honour of men. Have a look there in verse 1. Uh, verse 1, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Uh, now there are two groups here. There are the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. They represent the religious hierarchy of the day. Uh, the teachers of the law, sometimes known as the scribes, they were the experts in the Old Testament law. Uh, they were also the keepers of a thing called the oral tradition, a set of teachings and interpretations of the Old Testament law. The other group were the Pharisees. They were a kind of a, a zealous movement. They were fastidious in their keeping of religious practices and keeping religious disciplines. Uh, so much so that over time they developed a set of traditions and rules kind of that sat alongside God's word. Uh, and this was known as the traditions of the fathers. Uh, but the problem with these two groups was that they had become so focused on their traditions that they were no longer listening to God's word. They'd become so blinkered by their extra regulations that they could no longer see what the scriptures said. And so you see there, Jesus says, they sit in Moses' seat. That is, they, they, they teach, claiming the authority of the great Moses, the leader of God's people, uh, the writer down of God's laws. They do that as though they deserve the same respect and honour of Moses, but they're actually burdening the people of God. Verse 4. Verse 4, they tie heavy burdens. So they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they are not willing to lift a finger to move them. What these leaders are doing is they are weighing God's people down with rituals and rules and religious practices. Uh, Jesus says ones that they're not even willing to keep themselves. Uh, in 2019, the small, the small oil-rich kingdom of Brunei implemented Sharia law, that, that strict Muslim legal code. It came with laws like stoning to death for adultery and, and, and amputating limbs for theft. But when they brought it in, immediately the whole world saw the hypocrisy. You see, the ruling Sultan of Brunei and his brother, they were not only notorious for kind of having like multiple wives, but along that they kind of ran a, a harem of prostitutes at their beck and call. There's the adultery for you. And the Sultan's brother, well, he was accused of stealing. Wait for it, $16 billion from the royal treasury. There's the theft for you. And so was the sultan and his brother stoned? Were their hands cut off? No. They publicly forced the heavy burden of Sharia law on their people. 
but behind closed doors they lived completely differently. Isn't that the heart of hypocrisy? They tie heavy loads on people, but they do not practice what they preach. Now, it might be easy for us to see this in other people, but it's not so easy for us to see it in ourselves. Maybe if we see what was going on here for the religious leaders, we might be able to detect this sort of hypocrisy in ourselves. Why were these religious leaders doing it? Why were these Jewish leaders doing it? Jesus says they did it for the honour. They made very public shows of their religion to be recognised. Have a look there in verse 5. See what Jesus says. Verse 5, everything they did is done for people to see. There it is. It's done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. If you're wondering what phylacteries are, um, it's not kind of the the latest laxative. Uh, uh, There's a picture of one. There we go. It's a bit blurred out, but that's right. Uh, There's a guy there with this kind of little box on his head. That's a phylactery. Uh, It's a leather box that contained portions of the Old Testament law. Uh, It's worn by uh, Orthodox Jews even today. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God commanded his people to remember his laws, to remember his words, that that his law was to be on their hearts. And Deuteronomy 6 wants them to kind of saturate their lives with with God's word. And in Deuteronomy 6, God says this. He says... Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, what these guys have done, they've taken that super literally and they've actually gone and made a little box and put the commandments in it and they've stuck it on their head, thinking that like uh, sticking it onto their head will get it into their heart. I remember once uh, kind of at night going to bed so stressed about a science exam I had the next day, I, I, I put my science textbook under my pillow. Uh, hoping that somehow it would infuse in my brain during the night with enough knowledge to pass that science test. It didn't work. And I guess it explains why I'm not so good at science as well. Um, these phylacteries are kind of the same sort of idea. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think Jesus is against us having reminders in our life of God's word. It's great for you to carry a Bible around with you in your work bag or in your, in your, um, uh, your handbag or whatever. Uh, even better for you to read it rather than just carry it around. Uh, A verse of the day app that's on your phone that kind of pops up to remind you of God's word, fantastic. You want to put uh, Bible quotes on the back of the toilet door, great, go for it. But for these people, it wasn't about reminding them of God's word. They were doing these things as a public show. They were doing this for other people to see. Earlier in Matthew's gospel in chapter 6, Jesus had warned his disciples of exactly this issue. He warned them about those who who loved to pray on street corners to be seen by others. Those who made a public spectacle of their fasting. Oh no, I can't eat that today, I'm I'm fasting. Those who blew trumpets to announce their charity giving. It's the hypocrisy of those who do their religion in such a way, they're doing it to be seen by others. Seeking the honour and the recognition for themselves. It's there in verse 6, taking the place of honour at banquets, seeking public recognition for their position, being called rabbi or any other honorific title that takes their fancy. Again, in verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, don't be called teacher, don't be called father, don't be called instructor. And why? Because the honour of these things, it only belongs to God. 
And to claim that honour for ourselves, well, that is hypocrisy. That is seeking the honour of men instead of the honour that only belongs to God. And instead, verse 11, Jesus says, this is how it should be. Verse 11, the greatest among you must be your, will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is true religion. Honour will be given. Honour most definitely will be given, but it will be given by God. Honour will be bestowed, but it will only be bestowed on those who humble themselves before God and before men. Uh, I remember the church uh, that I went to shortly after becoming a follower of Jesus. Uh, this church, it had a pumping youth group. It was hundreds of teenagers gathering every Friday night and every Sunday. Uh, and it wasn't a kind of a pizza and bowling with a side of Jesus youth group. It was a, it was a word-driven, discipleship-focused youth group, growing real, deep Christians. Um, and I was very thankful for that church and for the youth ministry that I was able to be a part of. Uh, but given that the youth ministry at this church was so big and so exciting, there was kind of this aura uh, around those who were asked, asked to be youth leaders. And every year in September, all the uni students and all the young adults of our church knew that the youth pastor would be going around asking people to join the youth leadership team. Uh, and so there'd be these mutterings, have you, have you got a phone call yet? Uh, how come they asked them and they didn't ask me? Matt Pierce knows, he was there, he remembers that, that moment every year. You could see that for many of us, there was this special honour connected with being a youth group leader, of being part of the core team. People kind of, it became this thing where people kind of thought of it as recognition, that you were one of the mature, that you were one of the chosen ones, that you were one of the gifted ones, such that you got asked to lead in the youth ministry. It's so easy for this hypocrisy to creep in, isn't it? To start looking for the recognition, the affirmation of others as we seek to follow Jesus. And so these verses are challenging for us. Are we seeking God's honour in this? Or are we seeking to be honoured by those around us? Now, there are some good questions, some hard questions that are worth considering. So I want to ask you, is there anything that, is there any part of you that loves the outward signs of religion? That loves the honour that comes from these outward displays of your faith? Maybe it's the public acclaim. Maybe people think, what a good Christian they are. What a godly man or woman they are. Perhaps you like the idea of being in Christian leadership, you know, in a formal role here at church, because people will then look up to you. You can then walk around telling people what to do. It's a danger, isn't it? Well, what about this one? How often do you think about uh, what others are thinking of you, especially when you decide whether to do something or not around church? Would you do it differently if no one was watching? Would you do it at all if no one noticed? Now, there's nothing wrong with serving. There's nothing wrong with Christian leadership. There's nothing wrong with wanting to gather with God's people to, to read the Bible, to teach the Bible, to share and to pray. But the Pharisee, those whose religion is hypocritical, they do these things to be seen, says Jesus. They do these things to be recognised, to be honoured, to be exalted. But God's word says, go into your room, close the door, do these things in quiet. Do them between you and God because his praise is the only praise that really matters. So that's the first point. Religious hypocrites want to be seen. 
Uh, if you're kind of keeping time, we're going to go a bit faster through the rest. Um, uh, religious hypocrites, they want to be seen. They seek the honour of men rather than the honour of God. Uh, and the danger of this sort of religion is religious hypocrisy cannot save. Religious hypocrisy, it does not lead to salvation, says Jesus. It only leads to destruction. Uh, in this next section, uh, Jesus is much more fiery. Uh, he's kind of started off with a bit of a gentle rebuke, and this is now a harsh rebuke. Uh, Jesus, he's still speaking to the crowds, and he's warning them about these religious leaders of their day. He's warning them not to follow the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, because their religious hypocrisy, it cannot save. It cannot save. It only leads people astray. So verse 13, verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourself do not enter it, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they pride themselves on their interpretation of the scriptures. But Jesus says here that what they're teaching, those who follow their teaching, it actually shuts them out of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, back in chapter 18, Jesus said, Woe to anyone who causes one of my little ones to stumble. Well, now they're Pharisees. They are causing others to stumble. You see, because by adding their traditions and their rules and their regulations, they are shutting the kingdom to those who follow them. But the second woe is worse. Verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Now, it might be hard to see what's going on here. You know, I mean, there's something good about going out to, to win people for the kingdom. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to commission uh, Shona and Ross to go as mission partners to Austria to win people for the kingdom of heaven. But the problem here is they're converting people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're converting, converting people to a religion that cannot save. They're not helping anybody to come and know the true and living God. They're not leading people to trust in God. They're instead weighing people down with these religious burdens. They're selling them a lie that salvation comes through what you do, not through what God has done for you. They're selling the lie that salvation comes through what you do rather than what God has done for you. And that's what make the, makes the third and fourth woes so ridiculous. They've become blind to God and blind to his word. We can see this in verse 16 uh, with these bizarre oaths that people are making. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold in the temple is bound by that oath. You fools. You see, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, they got so caught up in the details which part of the temple or the altar to swear an oath on. They're so caught up in these details and these regulations that they've created for themselves, they've completely lost sight of the bigger picture. They've lost sight of God. They've lost sight of God and his holiness and his glory and his presence that the, 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 the temple represents for them. And so again, in verse 23, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, "'you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin.'" It's this picture here of this Pharisee who's kind of, he's gone out to his herb garden and he's bending down and he's picking up every tenth leaf. Tenth, every tenth mint leaf, every tenth dill, every tenth cumin. He's there, but he's lost. So he's there, but the lost 
and the homeless and the hungry. They're beating at his door and he's ignoring them because he's got to make sure he's got every tenth leaf. He's down there in the garden. He's so far into the weeds that he never gets to the heart of the law. Verse 23 again, you give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He's so busy counting his leaves, focusing in on his details. Have I ticked all the religious boxes today? He's asking himself. That he's neglecting what is truly important to God. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And to show how ridiculous this is again, uh, Jesus illustrates with this, this man who is straining his wine. He's straining his wine over and over again. You know, he's got to strain it because there might be a gnat in there. And See, a gnat, and if you, if you swallowed a gnat, that would make you uh, kind of ceremonially unclean under Jewish law. And so he's straining it again and again, focusing on these minute details. He doesn't realise there is a camel floating in his cup. A camel which is also unclean. It's supposed to be ridiculous. They are so lost in the details of their traditions and rules, they have lost sight of the bigger picture of who God is and what he has done for them. Now, speaking of clean and unclean, uh, Jesus has something to say about that in the fifth and sixth woes. Verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And then verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look so beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. You see, the Pharisees and their, teachers and their, and their religion, they were just concerned about the outward appearance, making sure that everything looked nice and shiny and clean on the outside to be seen by men and honoured by men, while, at the heart, while they never dealt with the issues inside, the issues of the heart, inside which was full of decay and wickedness and sin and death, says Jesus. I remember when I was a kid, I shared a room with my older brother, uh, and I remember that my mum would often ask us to tidy our room. Uh, we hated doing it, but there was pocket money on the line, uh, so we, we figured let's work out the fastest way to do this as possible so we could go back to watching The Simpsons, uh, and so my brother and I just shoved everything under the bed. And I mean everything. Whatever was on the floor just got pushed under the bed. Uh, it was really quick. We were back watching Bart and Homer and Marge and Lisa in no time. And our room looked nice and tidy. There was nothing on the floor. Our beds were neatly made. And it was all good for a few weeks until mum began to notice the smell. <laughs> By that stage, the offending item was no longer recognisable as food. But there was no pretending that our room was clean, was there? No matter how clean the floor was, no matter how neatly our beds were made, in reality, our room was filthy. And that's the sort of religious hypocrisy Jesus has in view here. Mere spiritual window dressing. See, right at the heart of the message of the Bible, right at the core of why Jesus came, is the reality that we are not clean and shiny before God. And no amount of religion can fix that. There's no amount of rule-keeping or rituals that can ever cleanse us from the sin that lurks inside. Only Jesus can fix us. Only Jesus can make us right before God and clean before God. And he does that when we come to him, not as proud religious people puffed up with the honour of others, 
but only when we come to him admitting our hypocrisy, admitting our need, when we admit our flaws and confess our sins, when we realise for ourselves and confess to God that we are completely unable to save ourselves. It's when we come to Jesus with nothing but repentance and faith, asking for forgiveness. Then we finally understand what true religion is. Then we finally understand the religion that saves, which is trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. When we humble ourselves before God, then and only then will we be made clean by him. And as Jesus says, then and only then will we be exalted by him. So where did it go wrong for these religious Pharisees and these teachers of the law? How did hypocrisy creep in and corrupt their religion? Well, I think, it we, I think we see it in the final woes and the judgment of Jesus, uh, that kind of verse 20, uh, 29 to the end of the chapter. I think it goes wrong when the people of God stop listening to the word of God. When the people of God stop listening to the word of God. The seventh woe, verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. You see what Jesus is saying in this section? He's saying they venerate the prophets with fancy terms. The prophets that God had sent to his people saying, turn back, come back to my word, trust in me, turn from your sin and, and, and return to me as, your, as my people. Uh, those prophets who were then killed by the people of God, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord, they were kind of venerating them. But here is Jesus standing before them, the greatest prophet. Here is Jesus standing before them, the incarnate word. And he has come to them, bringing with him the kingdom of heaven. And what do they do to him? Well, it's at the instruction of the Pharisees and the teachers of scribe that Jesus is flogged and that Jesus is crucified. Their rejection of Jesus is their ultimate rejection of God's word to them. Their rejection of Jesus, their refusal of his word, it just shows that they are just like their ancestors who killed the prophets. And it seals the deal of their rejection of God. And for this, Jesus has some of the harshest and clearest words of condemnation. These are uncomfortable words. Hell is not a popular idea in our world today, even in Christian circles. But if you don't believe in hell, then you don't trust what Jesus says. Because verse 33, Jesus says, how will you escape being, thrown, being condemned to hell? Verse 35, upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth. Verse 38, look at your house. Look, your house is left to you desolate. You see, religious hypocrisy, it only, that only cares about the honour of others, religious hypocrisy that cannot save, it comes, Jesus says, when we refuse to hear and heed God's word. And that sort of religious hypocrisy, Jesus says, it leads nowhere good. It leads to horrific destruction, which is why Jesus is being so strong here. He doesn't sugarcoat this. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't do that because heaven and hell are on the line. Jesus is fully aware that people's eternal destiny is at stake here. And Jesus loves his people too much. He loves them too much to beat around the bush. He loves them too much to stand back 
and say nothing. And we see this love and care of Jesus for his people. We see it there in verse 37. As Jesus has come to Jerusalem, the city that was to welcome him as its saviour king and has rejected him, we see Jesus' heart there in verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus is harsh here. Jesus is blunt because he loves and cares deeply for his people. He desires to gather his people, to protect them. It's this tender image of a mother hen gathering her little chicks under her wings, gathering gathering them under her wings for their protection, for their good. You see, Jesus desperately wants his people to avoid this sort of religious hypocrisy, the hypocrisy that seeks the honour of men that cannot save, that rejects God's word. The sort of hypocrisy that leads to great burdens being placed on the people of God. Burdens that lead them away from his grace and mercy and instead lead them to judgment and destruction. Because Jesus has not come. He has not come to put a heavy religious burden on your back. Far from it. Jesus came to lift heavy burdens. Jesus came to set the captive free, to set the prisoner free. And I'll give Jesus the final word this morning. Earlier on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said this, and it's really important that you hear this. If your mind has been overwhelmed with the, the, the woes and the judgment and the, the hell and the destruction that Jesus is talking about. Come and hear Jesus. Let him have the final word. Jesus says this earlier on in Matthew's Gospel. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the religion that Jesus brings. Freedom and rest for those who come to him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we can be so tempted to chase after the honour of other people. We could be so tempted to trust in our own good works, our own religious performance. We'd be so tempted to think that we know best and we don't need to listen to your word. But Lord, help us to take Jesus' word seriously this morning, that that leads nowhere good. That leads to heavy burdens. That leads to an unhealthy fatuation with what other people think. And ultimately, Lord, that leads to death and destruction. Lord, we come to Jesus. Lord, we come to him with nothing but repentance and faith. And we look forward to the life, the eternal life that can only be found in him. And Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.